here this morning on a beautiful, beautiful day before. Very much. Well, here's a question. Uh, how do you live a life like the late Queen's? Um, and of course, you might say, well, it helps if you're born into the royal family. And of course, you can't. Uh, but that wasn't really the point of the question. Uh, what I was really asking was, how do you live a life of steadfast, selfless service of others in such a way that at your funeral, what everyone talks about is your character and the quality of your service? And that's interesting, isn't it? And maybe the question is this, how, if you're a person of faith, how do you have faith like the late queen? Because one of the things that struck me in all the talking and writing and opining and editorializing about the queen's life was uh, just so much about her faith and how her commitment to God her uh, life lived for Jesus and with Jesus had shaped her so profoundly. So really, the question is, well, how do you live a life like the Queen's? Well, you have a faith like the Queen's. That's the answer, right? Uh, and by faith, you mean uh, what I mean was well, a very interesting question. Of course, you, we bandy that word around what is, you know, faith. Well, what is faith, right? That's a good question. Well, faith is trust. And you go, well, what is trust? Well, trust is actually a view that the world has a, particular, uh, has a particular shape about it, and you live your life on the basis of that reality. So that's really all it is. Uh, faith is trust, and it's a trust that this is the way the world really works. This is reality with a capital R. And I'll base my life on that. I'll act on that basis. Uh, and a very simple illustration of this, for example, is um, you all have trust that the chairs that you are sitting in will hold you through the course of this talk. Uh, now, that's faith. Uh, and, um, and it's based on a view of how the world really is. And of course, if the chairs didn't hold you through the course of the service, then your faith would be shown to be uh, invalid because it was based on a faulty understanding of capital R reality. So then the question is, to live a life of faithful service in the way of the queen, you have to go, how do I see the world the way she did? And how do I experience the world the way she did? And how do I act in the world in the way that she did? Okay, see the train of thought there? So here's the answer. It's really simple. It's the same answer that Jesus gave to another very powerful ruler in his day by the name of Nicodemus. And uh, we get to this fabulous passage. You're probably, it's pretty familiar. Um, uh, you're probably quite familiar with it. And uh, if you've been around church for a while, there was a Pharisee, a high status, super religious, uh, educated man comes to Jesus now, he's a ruler, and he comes to Jesus at night, maybe because he was aware that politically there was some risk in being seen to be associated with Jesus. And he comes and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. So I, I understand this bit of reality. I know you've come from God. 
um, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. <laughs> so he's saying, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a fair, I'm a ruler, I'm educated, I understand this about you. And then Jesus says a very interesting phrase. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So what is, what is he saying to Nicodemus? He's saying, hey, Nicodemus, you don't actually understand the way the world really is. You think you do. You think you can see that God is with me, and that's all great. And, and within the, the framework of your pre-understanding, this is what makes sense. But actually, you don't really understand. You don't see the kingdom of god okay so you say well oh, what is the kingdom of god this is the problem with jesus and christianity and maybe it's just a problem with my jewish background every statement or every question is answered with another question because <laughs> because we often in the passage like this we just rattle off these phrases and go oh yeah well, so and we assume them and we don't stop and think but what is what what does it mean to see the kingdom of god well okay so um a few things there uh what is a kingdom it's interesting we live in a monarchy i mean how many of you become don't stick your hands up or maybe you should Maybe, how many of you have seen the benefits of a monarchy over the last couple of weeks? Just a smooth transfer of power, just fantastic kind of centrality of focus. And, you know, well, what is the essence of a kingdom? A kingdom is the sphere or the place where the will of the sovereign is done. So uh, Queen Elizabeth is, uh, was and King Charles, how hard is it to say that? King Charles is our king in Australia because uh, at one level in this part of the world, his will is done. I mean, through many institutions and it's a limited will and it's done through governor general and through elected representatives and parliaments. So it's a very weak sense of the kingdom, but his will is done here to some extent. Now, each human being has a will, you have a will, and uh, this, the area where your will is done is your kingdom. So you have a little kingdom, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Um, you have a kingdom where your will is done. So for example, you could leave right now. You, you, your will, your, the sphere of your will is your body. That's the first place where your will is done. And you can sit, you can lie, you can try and stay awake, you can stand up and leave, you can let your mind drift, because that is, you have agency and sovereignty over that part of your being, and that part of the world. Uh, now I can see uh, bits of your kingdom. I can see that you're choosing to be here. We, we can, bits of our kingdom are manifest and made visible. So with King Charles, so with the nature of sovereignty and power in the world. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, God has a kingdom. God has a, a way of being in this world, a space, a sphere where his will is done. And that's real. That's capital R reality. 
but Nicodemus, you as a religious ruler can't see it. And you go, huh, well then, who can see it? Well, the only people who can see it are those who are born again. So it, you go, okay, Nicodemus can't see it. And you'd think if anybody could see it, Nicodemus could see it. Because, boy, he was a Jewish leader and scholar and ruler. And he says, no, no even Nicodemus, there's something missing. There's a, there's a capacity to engage with and understand and experience this whole dimension of reality that you can't see and get. And until you can see and get that, you can't really get God. So I would say... If you want to have the faith of the queen, then you need to listen to Jesus. I would say, why, why the queen, why did the queen live the life she lived? It's because she'd seen the kingdom of God. She knew that though she was queen of England and a variety of other countries around the world, actually she was still a subject of a greater monarch. And she belonged and saw and experienced and lived in a greater kingdom. And so why did that, how did that change her? Well, she lived a life of service because she understood and saw so clearly in the kingdom of God, the king was the servant, Jesus. And the nature of the kingdom of God, which is, uh, was a complete inversion of the way human hierarchies work, where the, the, the more powerful you are, the more power, you know, the higher up the social hierarchy you are, the more power accrues to you, the more status. And the temptation is to use it for your own well-being, that of your tribe or your clan or your country or your family. But, it, but seeing the kingdom of God clearly as she did, she thought, no, the nature of ultimate reality is that life is found in service. Right, okay, awesome. So that's clear, isn't it? So why doesn't everyone else get that? Why doesn't everyone see God? Well, because they haven't been born again. And you go, well, that's obvious. But what does it mean to be born again? Another question, what is, like, that's a phrase that is bandied around as we're talking before the service, Brad and I were chatting how maybe being born again is a phrase that is used in a slightly derogative, derogatory way, you know, those, um, when I, when I uh, came to Christ as a teenager, um, it was a fairly powerful conversion experience from a Jewish, secular Jewish and lapsed Catholic background. And my father, who was not particularly religious, uh, would talk to me, would call me the first time we talked after this had happened. He called me, ah, oh, here's my mother effing born again Christian. He's, you know, um, so, uh, you know, sometimes it's not a compliment uh, and it's associated with scorn and disdain. Other times it's used, it's just bandied around as a, as a phrase that we're familiar with. I don't know what your familiarity is with that particular phrase. It got very overused in certain circles in America and came into our cultural sort of um, linguistic milieu. But what does it actually mean? What does it mean to be born again? 
Like, and, and I mean, it's, it's not a silly question I'm asking you. I mean, Nicodemus, it was a very smart person. And Nicodemus goes, well, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks, surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And you go, yeah, it's obviously nothing physical. Okay, so what I want to do now is, uh, is explain the concept of being, to understand what it means to be born again, we need to understand first and foremost what it is to be alive, because being born is about coming to life. And so you have to understand philosophically, or, or at least intellectually, what it is to come alive. And uh, the best definition of life I've come, I've come across, again, is from Dallas Willard, uh, hard to beat. Uh, Dallas, and here is what he says. Uh, oh no, I gotta go. Okay. What is life? In all its various levels and types, life is power to act and respond in specific kinds of relations. Okay. A very, very packed and important sentence. And if you understand that, you can start to understand what it is to be born again. Okay, because you understand what life is. Okay, so life in all its various levels and types, life is power to act and respond in specific kinds of relations. So let's make that concrete because I can see you're all very excited about that little phrase. And you go, huh, okay, that doesn't make a pile of sense just as it is. Uh, so uh, we have here a pebble, a potato, a puppy, and a person. Uh, and each of those uh, have different levels of life about them because they have different levels of power to relate. So let's start with the pebbles. What sort of uh, power to relate do pebbles have? Not much. In fact, none. So what we can say about a pebble is that it is it has no life. And we understand that. Like the chair you're sitting on, the pebbles, these things are incapable of relationship. They have they are non-sentient beings. They have no life. Okay, we're all clear. Now a potato, on the other hand. Now a potato has more life than a pebble, right? You've come up a level of life. And a potato, and I just chose these with to alliterate with P, there's no specific genius around potato. I thought maybe pumpkin, given it's come to Halloween, could have been the other word we could have used. But uh, the potato is capable of a certain set of relationships. Isn't that right? Very limited. Potato has a relationship with the sun. It takes in energy, photosynthesizes, grows, dies, reproduces. That's what potatoes do. A potato has more life than a pebble. Do we get that? It's upper level. Not a lot of life. Like, you'd be very surprised if a potato took itself off for a walk, wouldn't you? <laughs> or if you, if you threw a ball for a potato and it went and chased it and picked it up and brought it, that would be very, it can't do that. That's not its nature of life, not its level of life. Now, a puppy, on the other hand, a puppy has more life than a potato, right? 
A puppy has power to relate in all kinds of different ways with other puppies and other objects and people and trees and it can wee on things and it can chase balls and it can respond to you and it can learn so not these puppies they're as dumb as anything I say for a little frontal lobe development for dogs that are bred to have no noses um, but puppies like ours very intelligent um, but all puppies have uh, a particular ability to relate don't they a power in relationship they can get certain stuff done and they can respond so you'd, you'd expect it's, it's natural for a puppy to chase balls and wag tails and respond to people in a certain way and respond to other dogs and pee on things and chew things. And you wouldn't, you'd, you'd be pretty surprised though if, a, if, if the puppy wanted to have a conversation with you about the emotional effects of the queen's passing on the puppy's life. That would be surprising. Like puppies don't relate at that level you'd be very surprised if you came home and you saw the puppy um reading its way through dostoevsky you'd be like oh that's unusual Some, something miraculous has happened to this puppy uh, if it can now pretend to read dostoevsky like people pretend to read dostoevsky <laughs> you, 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 that doesn't work okay so but then you go up a level now human beings we have life at a level above that of puppies because we have power to relate in all kinds of ways that puppies don't. We can relate to each other. We can think about ideas. We can think about cause and effect. We can worry about the future. We can love. We can relate in all sorts of different ways. So you go back to the definition in its various levels and types life is power to act and respond in specific kinds of relations so as people we have specific kinds of relations that we can act on and we have a life that is a level above that of a puppy and a potato and certainly a pebble does that make sense so now so now where what do you think it means to be born again so we all have life at this level nicodemus has life you have life every human being has life we have ability to relate to love have power in this when jesus says you won't see the kingdom of god unless you've been born again what is he saying you need to love and leave in it right sorry life in a spiritual level you level it up yeah that's right so i'll i'll now i've i, I couldn't find a simple art for a, a stock image for god so um we're, we've now got a so so if you go here's the level uh you know here's the inanimate pebble here's the level of say a potato Here's the level of your pet. Okay. Uh, here's the whole of the Bible in summary. There is a level here. God plus spiritual. That didn't work, did it? Spiritual beings, the whole... You would have heard that phrase in the queen's funeral the whole company of heaven 
the Elohim, the spiritual angels and uh, spiritual reality. There's the whole spiritual reality that And that this actually, no, let me just rethink that. At the start of creation, when the world was made, you and I were actually drawn into that reality. That's what we were made for. We were connected into that. We had not just the ability to relate at this level, but actually we were kind of given the ability to relate up here to be part of this world, which is also known as the kingdom of God where God's will is done perfectly with all the hosts of heaven. That's the picture of the Garden of Eden in that primal story. God makes us to live in the world with him. And, and Adam and Eve are wandering around the garden, having gin and tonics in the afternoon with God. Okay, they, were, they are alive to God able to experience God, to be full of God, and to have a friendship and an intimacy and a connection with God, that's what they were made for, okay? Now, what happens after the Garden of Eden is that this capacity of ours to relate to God is lost, okay? So now we can't actually, we're no longer alive to God in that way. We're cut off from God. We can't see God. So this is, this is uh, the Bible calls us many things, the most obvious of which is called sin. That now, we're, we're, so you go, you don't get it. You can't relate to God. And, and at least in part, you know why that is, of course. It's because we don't want God in our lives because we, we actually just want to relate because notice what, where are we in this diagram? Where are we on the hierarchy of being? We're at the top of the ladder in our own hierarchy. In this world, in the material world, we're at the top. And we like that a lot because I want to be the king of my domain. I want the power, but that actually cuts us off from this experience of God. So we are spiritually dead. Now, of course, what does it mean? What is the whole point of Christianity? The whole point of Christianity and the point of Jesus coming is that, hey, what we need is to be made alive again, that is, we need in some way to be reconnected to God, to break through this barrier so we can spiritually see God and, and experience him in our lives again. So this is, this is the physical and this is the spiritual world. And what we need is God to break through that barrier and actually give us life, which means to give us the power to act in a certain way to, with God. That's all it means. So to be born again, to be born again means, okay, so this is, uh, this is uh, firstborn. Actually, let me change that word. This is uh, once born. And then what we need here is 
twice born. We need a spiritual awakening, a spiritual birth. Now, does that make sense? Okay, let me pause and ask, are there any questions? Is there anything, because if you think I haven't explained anything clearly and you're confused, chances are others are as well. So uh, does, that, does that all make sense? Why was Jesus, that's a great question. Why was Jesus critical of Nicodemus? Because I'm not sure it would have been that simple. Well, because um, Nicodemus should have understood this. And what Nicodemus, I would say, Jesus was saying, and it was, um, you, Nicodemus, though you think you are spiritually connected, you are still only living at this level. Plus Israel, you're all, you're all here. And you think, you think that you understand God, but you actually don't get it. Because what you're really doing is you're turning God into, you're turning re your religion into an ethno-nationalist um, means of, of, of saving yourselves. I think that's why he was critical. You should have, because you can look very religious, like, um, can't you? I mean, these people, we can look very religious here. without actually seeing God, without being born again. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think Jesus' critique is he should have got it. You as a leader of Israel should have got it. The fact that Nicodemus as a leader of Israel didn't get it, however, shows us that, that in fact he was spiritually dead. He was as dead to God as a pebble is to a potato or a potato is to a pet or a pet is to a person. So he was that dead. So he needed, he needed God to do something miraculous. The same way that to get your dog to read Dostoevsky would require your dog to become human-like. To get us to understand God requires God to make us God-like. So we're leveling up. For those of you who are gamers, we're, we're leveling up. And you, you, need, you need God to help us level up. Yeah. 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 Yes, that spot. So the Melinda's comment was the passage doesn't show us Jesus insight. And that's true, though, in chapter two, he does. He wouldn't entrust himself to people because he knew what was in everyone's hearts. So you're exactly right. Yeah, he knew Nicodemus's spiritual state. And so he could say, hey, you should have got this, dude. You're a leader of Israel. You should have got it. Yeah, good, good. Any, any yeah. Priscilla. Yep.
yes, we were created uh, to be a little lower than the angels. Yeah, that's well, that's because we're we were created to live in this realm up here, along with the angels. But actually, spiritually, we've died and we've sort of regressed, so we can only live at this level of the material. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that uh, has a has a discussion about uh, our relationship to the angels and says we were created to be a little lower than the angels or a little higher than the angels. Um, so what does that mean? And that's a longer question, but basically this is the sphere of all these spiritual beings of the angels. We were created to live here and that is still our destiny if we can see it, but actually we've all, we've leveled ourselves down to here and we're waiting for God to level us up to here. Yeah, Darren. Yeah. Why is the process of being born again within the church so different sometimes? Yeah, it can be. Ah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? That's a whole topic. Um, <laughs> come back next week <laughs> well so uh so in some traditions so for example the roman catholic church would say one is born again at baptism by the inf as an infant by the infusion of grace that is given to you through the sacrament I would say I appreciate greatly the thought behind that, but I think there's a little more to it than that, because I think what we all have to do as adults, as sentient beings, is if you're a Catholic, you have to own for yourself as an adult that which was promised for you at baptism. Baptism itself will not regenerate you or make you born again. So in our experience as adults, as conscious beings, what each of us has to do is come to God and say, Jesus, may you make me born again. May you give me, make me alive to you. And you do that by faith, trusting in Jesus, and you do that by his word. So um, does that make sense? Is that now that Confirmation can be part of that. Yeah, yeah. So in a in a in the Catholic Lutheran Anglican system, the model is you know promises are made for you at baptism, and then you come through the system, and as at confirmation, you own for yourself those promises, and all of those things can be helpful as long as there is a personal heart that is born again along the way that actually calls out to God and says, "I want to relate to you," because I don't know about you, but my my experience of the religious system is you can go through the system with like Nicodemus without actually connecting with God. That, that can be a problem. Like, so, so you could be sitting here this morning. Well, you are all sitting here this morning. 
sitting where you are, there is a risk that you are not born again. And that you don't see the kingdom of heaven clearly because at some fundamental point, you haven't called out to Jesus and said, give me a new heart, make me alive. I surrender my life to you. And the first point of surrender is this. It's saying, I acknowledge that I need Jesus. I need you to be king. I can't be, the, I can't be in charge of my own life. I have to open myself up to Jesus. So there's a risk. So you and I can come through the whole church mechanism and still be Nicodemuses, still think because of our morality, our religion, that we're right with God. But actually, you have to cry to God and say, Jesus, forgive me. Make me born again. Open myself up to Jesus. Now, I just wanted to finish briefly. Well, I don't. I'd, I'd actually love to keep talking for a very long time, but, uh, but uh, apparently the kids want us to finish. Um, that I've now been born again and made alive to God. The next question is, how do I keep growing in that relationship? Right? That's a real thing. So you're now alive to God. Well, what does that look like? Uh, one of the real risks for us as a church in the Western world, in our culture, is you go, okay, I've had this experience, I've opened myself up to God, but then we stagnate and we really stay, we don't, I don't know, it's, we, don't, we don't grow in that experience of God. So I'll tell you, here's two, what, what's, the what's the most important thing in any relationship? If you speak to any marriage counselor, anyone who's married, say, what's, what's absolutely critical in any relationship? It's good communication. Okay, so, so that communication is the essence of relationship. So if you want to build your relationship with God, as someone who's born again, who's alive to God, how do you do that? What are the, what are the, what's the critical thing? What's the key to your relationship with God? It's good communication. How does God speak to you? Through his word and his spirit. What is his word and his spirit? Like in the scriptures. So do you love reading the Bible? Do you ever read the Bible? And, and enjoy, is that part of, does the word of God dwell in you richly, in me, so that the mind of Christ is in you, so God is speaking to you? Do you understand how to hear God speak to you personally, moment by moment? So when you're at work and you're facing a decision, you can pause and be still in the moment and actually know that God is with you because you are living, you are operating at this level. You're not just here. You're actually connected deeply moment by moment to God by his spirit. Like, can you do that? Are you soaked in the word of God? The, now, so what's, so that's how God speaks to us. How do we speak to God? Prayer. Like, read God, listen to God, speak to God, listen to God, speak to God, listen to God, speak to God. Like, it's really not that important, not that tricky. How's your speaking to God going? How much of a conversation do you have with God in your day-to-day -day life? The Apostle Paul says, I pray constantly. How is your constant? What does that even look like? Glad you asked. That's my second point. How's your prayer life? And, and, and I don't mean a formalized, ritualized thing, though it can be that. But is, there, is your day-to-day, moment-by-moment experience 
you've been born again. You've given over your life to Jesus. Said, Jesus, come in and make me new. Now, are you living in that reality increasingly? And are you growing in it? Saul, did you have a question? Where does repentance fit in? Ha, that's a great question. So repentance is saying, is recognizing I need to be born again. I'm not God. God's God. And I'm dead and I need help. Forgive me. Surrender. And anytime I start forgetting that, I need to repent. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Okay. Uh, you need to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you know, open yourself up to God and then live it out. Like be immersed in the word. Now I'm, I'm can I, that that's that's a journey. Like we as a church exist to help us on that journey, but it's a journey each of us have to take responsibility for in our own lives. Like I can't, I or the church can't do it for you. Only you and God, in one sense, can do it. We're here to help massively. We're here to help each other. But boy, it's you know. So that's the journey we're on. Let's pray. Uh, uh, Lord God, if there are any of us here who fear that we may not be born again because we don't really get it and we feel distant from you, I just ask that even this morning you'll help us to reach out to you, to uh, ask you to, to make us born again, to ask you to come into our lives. And, and maybe if that's you, you can just say a simple prayer, Jesus Forgive me for living without you. Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Jesus, come into my life and make me alive to God. Now and forever. Amen. We're going to sing one last song. Let's invite our wonderful musicians up. And obviously, I'm around to talk and pray and chat after church as we all are.